Amen. All right, we're there in Job chapter number 36. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been walking through the book of Job, and we are in chapter 36, and I'm starting to get uh, excited, and I'm going to be very excited next week when we do chapter 37, and because we will officially have finished all of the rants from Job's three friends and Elihu. And I appreciate your faithfulness and sticking with us through this. You know, I'm always amazed by this church. Uh, you, you go through these deep books with me, you know, like uh, these, these chapters have not been easy. We've gone through Isaiah, we've gone through Ezekiel, we've gone through Leviticus, and this really is a church that believes that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, and I'm glad that you've been with us. But next week, we're going to finish up these, uh, these chapters, and then we're going to get into the best part of the book of Job, and we're going to hear God speak for several chapters, and that's going to be a lot of fun, and, but we've got to finish up uh, Elihu, and of course, Elihu speaks... Uh, He has this monologue that goes from chapter 32 through 37, and we are almost done with it, but not quite. We're here in chapter 36. If you notice verse 1, it says, Elihu also proceeded and said. This guy's not done. I want you to notice what he says. The first thing he says in this chapter is he says that he believes that he is speaking on behalf of God. He says in verse 2, suffer. And the word suffer means allow. He says, allow me a little and I would say, we've, we've allowed you a little. We've allowed you a lot. Uh, you, you won't shut up. But he says, uh, suffer me a little, and I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. And you know, the question I want to ask is, well, why? He says, I've got more things to say on God's behalf. And he's like, why haven't you said him? You've already said a lot. And he tells us here that he's going to speak on God's behalf. And uh, we've, we've been dissecting Elihu. Now, we've been talking about Elihu. Uh, we've talked about the, con- uh, the, the, the conflict. Uh, that you find with Elihu, where you, you find people saying that he's a good guy, others say he's a bad guy. Some people say he wrote the book of Job, and he's the hero of the story. And we've been dissecting what he said word for word, and there have been some things that he has said that are correct. But by and large, he's been wrong. He's been falsely accusing Job. He's been making wrong statements. And here he tells us that he is speaking on God's behalf. And of course, we know that's not true because he's been saying things that contradict what God uh, says at the end of the book. But, you know, just another proof, and I brought this up to you already, uh, but another proof that he's not speaking on God's behalf uh, because he tells us that he says, I will show thee that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. But if that were true, then why is it that God speaks from chapters 38 through 41. I mean, if Elihu is speaking on God's behalf from chapter 32 through 37, then why does God? Because it's a unique thing in the book of Job. It's not something we see in a lot of other passages where God enters in. Now, obviously, God's word, the entire Bible, is the word of God. And when prophets stand up and say, thus saith the Lord God, they're they're actually speaking on behalf of God and speaking the words of God. The book of Job is a little unique in the sense that God actually enters in as a character into the narrative or the conversation of Job. He enters into this conversation and begins to speak. Those are some great chapters, and I'm excited to get there. But here, Elihu says, I'm speaking for God. And probably, in my opinion, one of the greatest evidences that he's not speaking for God is that God feels the need to speak for himself uh, later on uh, in this uh, book. But Elihu, of course, is a uh, young man, an angry man, and an arrogant 
man. We've seen him say a lot of arrogant things throughout the book, and this chapter will be no different. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. Elihu says, uh, I'm smart, and I'm, I'm smarter than you are, and I, and I get my wisdom and my knowledge from further than you uh, can. He says, I will fetch my knowledge from afar and will ascribe righteousness to my maker, for truly my words shall not be false. I want you to notice the last part of verse 4. This is probably the most prideful statement, other than the statements that come from Satan himself, just the most arrogant statements uh, in the Bible. And the sad thing is that there's people alive today who speak this way. Uh, But notice what he says at the end of verse 4. He says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. And here Elihu is telling us, remember the word perfect means complete. And he uh, claims that he has complete or perfect knowledge. He says, he says, you need to listen to me because he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Now that is a very arrogant statement for a human being to make because no human being has perfect knowledge about anything. Uh, uh, nobody can claim, it doesn't matter how much you studied the Bible, read the Bible, memorized the Bible, you can't ever claim that you have perfect knowledge in regards to the Bible or any uh, area of your life. It doesn't matter how much you study any area. But here he says, I have perfect knowledge. Uh, he that have perfect knowledge is with thee. Now, the people who like Elihu, they'll try to defend Elihu and say, no, when he says, he that is perfect knowledge is with thee, uh, he's not speaking about himself. He's actually speaking about God. Well, I disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that, because they'll say, see, God's with us. And God, he that is perfectly knowledge is with thee is what Elihu is saying. But, but here's the thing. In verse 2, Elihu said that I have yet to speak on God's behalf. In verse 2, he said, hey, God sent me. God's not here. God's not here to speak. Now, God's going to disprove that and show up and speak. But he says, God's not here. I'm here to speak. And then he says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. So I believe Elihu is talking about himself. And when you consider the fact that he's already made all sorts of arrogant statements throughout these chapters. Remember, he started, he started his conversation with saying, I'm very young and you are very old. Uh, so this guy is just a kind of an arrogant punk, and he's uh, really just uh, really talking himself up. Keep your place there in Job. That's our text for uh, tonight. But go with me just real quickly to the book of Proverbs, if you would. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Unfortunately, there are people who were, I don't know what happened, Either their parents didn't raise them this way, or, or, or maybe they didn't grow up with their parents. I, I'm not sure, but there are people who just never learned proper people skills. And there are people, look, there are people, you can go to work with them, you can go work for them, you can go work with them, you, you'll meet them at the grocery store, they're all over in our politics, and you'll even find them behind the pulpit, you'll find them in the church pew. There are people who speak this way about themselves. Well, they'll just say, like, I'm the greatest thing ever. You know, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Let me me help you out with something. That is extremely inappropriate to speak that way uh, about yourself. You say, well, show me that in the Bible. Proverbs 25, verse 27. Notice what the Bible says. Even if it's true, which it's not, but even if it's true, you shouldn't say it. Proverbs 25, verse 27 says this. It is not good to eat much honey, so for men... See, the arrogant 
culture we live in, they'll say, well, it's not bragging if it's true. Well, first of all, you're the one deciding that it is true, and we'll find out with Elihu that he was wrong. But secondly, the Bible says, for uh, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. If you have to sit there and tell people how great you are, how smart you are, how amazing you are, how successful you are, hey, for men to search their own glory, that's not glory. If other people can't see how successful you are and tell you how great you are, then, you know, you got to just keep your mouth shut. Amen. Proverbs 27, look at verse 2. Proverbs 27, verse 2. I'm just trying to help you with some people skills. Because, I mean, literally, you meet people like this, and you can't help but roll your eyes when you hear them talk. And it's kind of like, man, this guy is full of himself. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth. A stranger, and not thine own mouth lips. You should never, look, especially you young people, you young men, learn this verse, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger and not thine own lips. Pride is unattractive. Humility is attractive. When people compliment you and you say, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, of course. <laughs> it's, it's annoying. It uh, makes you look like a jerk. It may be the reason you don't have any friends. So let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth. A stranger, not thine own lips. By the way, when somebody says, hey, you did a great job, you know what you have to say? Praise the Lord. Amen. You did a good job with that sermon. Praise God. Why are you praising God? Well, it's by God's grace that I can stand up and preach a sermon. And by God's grace that you can stand up and do whatever it is that you do that people uh, praise you for. Uh, so let, pe let other people praise you and then you deflect that glory to God. And this is a lesson that Elihu should have learned. This is a lesson that Elihu's mother should have taught him, or Elihu's father should have taught him. Go back to Job 36. Why don't you notice verse 4? Elihu makes another just absurd statement. In verse 4, he says, For truly my words shall not be false. He says, My words, he makes a statement. And by the way, just before I get off on, on the pride thing, let me just say this. Moms and dads, make sure you don't raise children that are boasters and braggers. When you hear your children bragging, you need to correct that. You need to stop that and say, hey, you know, that's not us. Amen. That's not where, where the Bible says that God honors and blesses those that are humble in spirit. Uh, so make sure that you're not raising a bunch of braggers and a bunch of boasters. It's not good. The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction. Uh, so you don't want to make sure you don't go down that, that road. But here in Job 36.4, Elihu says, my words shall not be false. Now here's why that's laughable. First of all, we've already made it through chapter 32, 33, 34, 35, and we've seen all sorts of statements that are false from Elihu. And I'm not going to take the time to revisit those. You can go back and listen to those sermons if you, if you missed those. But even in this chapter, like this chapter where he says this, we're going to look at six statements that Elihu makes that are false statements. So this guy is just really full of himself. He says, I am, he says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. He says, truly my words shall not be uh, false. And then you look at the chapter and you're like, you're just saying, making false statement after false statement after false statement. So this guy is wrong. He's saying all sorts of wrong things. And look, there, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. We're all wrong from time to time. But there's something drastically wrong with being wrong 
and you being too arrogant and pride-filled and stupid to allow somebody to correct you. The problem's not with being wrong, Elihu. The problem's that you're so arrogant, no one can say, hey, you're actually not right about that. And that's what we should try to not be. He says, I don't make false statements. And then he goes on and makes six false statements. So let me point these statements out to you. We'll move through them as quickly as we can. The first false statement that Elihu makes, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down on the back of the course of the week. There's a place for you to jot down some notes. Let me give you six statements he makes that are wrong. False statement number one, he says, God does not despise anyone. Notice what he says in verse five. Now remember, verse four, he just got done saying, I don't make false statements. I'm perfect in knowledge. I know everything. I'm smarter than everybody. And then he says this, Behold, God is mighty. That's good. We like that. Then he says this, And despiseth not any. Now, here's the problem. That sounds good, and it sounds spiritual. The problem is, it's not true. He says, God despiseth not any. The word despise means to look at with contempt or scorn. He says, God does not despise anyone. God does not uh, uh, scorn anyone. God does not hold anyone in contempt. Pretty much what he's saying is God doesn't hate anyone. And here's the thing, look, it sounds good. And in fact, this is what most preachers teach today, that God despises not any. That you say, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that. Keep your place in Job 36, if you would. Go with me to the book of Psalms. You're there in Job. Just flip over to Psalm 53. Psalm 53. The word despise means to feel contempt, to see someone as worthless, to feel a deep repugnance for someone. Don't say, God doesn't despise anyone. God doesn't see anybody as worthless. God doesn't feel a deep repugnance for, any, for anyone. Well, here's a question that you should always find yourself asking and that you should get in the habit of asking, especially if you're going to be a Baptist. And, it is this, it, it, and this question is this. Well, what does the Bible say? As Baptists, we are Biblicists. That means that the Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice. It doesn't really matter what you think or I think. It doesn't matter what the culture thinks or society thinks. All that matters is, what does the Bible say? Well, if the question is, does God despise anyone... What does the Bible say? Psalm 53, look at verse 4. Psalm 53, 4, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? And I want you to notice that phrase, workers of iniquity. It's a very specific phrase. He says, Who eat up my people as they eat bread, they have not called upon God. So notice, these people are not saved. They're workers of iniquity and they're not saved because they've not called upon God. Salvation is... Uh, that you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Look at verse 5. There were they in great fear, where no fear was. Notice, for God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee, thou hast put them to shame. Notice these words. Because God hath despised them. So Elihu says, God is mighty and despiseth not any. Wrong. You, you just told us in the last verse, you don't make any false statements. But... In the very next verse, you make a false statement because the Bible says that God hath despised them. Go to Hosea chapter 9, if you would. You're there in Psalms. Just go towards the end of the Old Testament. you got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, 
Hosea, Hosea chapter 9. And look, this is what's being taught today in the average church. The average church says God loves everyone. God doesn't hate anybody. And this is a statement that is not true, and it's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. Hosea chapter 9 and verse 15, notice what the Bible... And look, I, I could spend an entire sermon on this. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you a couple examples, and, and we'll move on from it. But it says... In Hosea 9.15, all their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them. Notice it says them, plural, not the singular. For the wickedness of their doings will I drive them out of mine house. I will love them no more. All their princes are revolters. Notice how the Bible says, this is God speaking. And he says, for there I hated them. And then, just to make sure we understand what that means, he says, I will love them no more. So, does God hate people? And the answer is yes. Now, people say, well, yeah, but doesn't God love everybody? For God so loved the world. Yeah, that's true. God does love everyone. Initially, he loves everyone. But notice, he doesn't say that he didn't ever love them. He, he makes it clear. He says, for there I hated them. And he says, I will love them no more. He used to love them, but now he doesn't. You say, what, what is that? Well, look, people can cross a line with God where they lose their chance, they become a worker of iniquity, and they lose their opportunity for salvation. And you know what? God despises them. The wrath of God is upon them. Go to Malachi chapter 1. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. And, and people will often say this, yeah, but doesn't the Bible say that God is love? And look, the Bible says God is love. The Bible also says God is holy. The Bible says God is just. The Bible says all sorts of things about God. Well, God is love, so therefore God can't hate. Well, that, that's a false statement, Elihu. That's a false uh, uh, idea that you have in your mind because the Bible says that God is love. And let me break it to you. Love hates. Do you understand, you know, you understand what I mean by that statement? Love doesn't love everything. Because love that loves everything loves nothing. Love, in order to love something, you have to hate. Love hates. If, if, and we've talked about it. You know, if you love children, you're going to hate the wicked pedophile that want to molest and rape and hurt children. You can't love everyone. So see, God is love. Therefore, God must hate. Because love hates. Malachi chapter 1, look at verse 2. Notice what he says. He says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. Notice here, he says that he hated Esau. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. And the Calvinists, obviously, this is quoted in Romans 9. They like to turn this into a Calvinist thing. But I want to show you that in this passage, he's, talk, he's actually talking about the nation of Esau, or the descendants of Esau, because he says, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. The person Esau uh, is not the person being referenced here. He's talking about the descendants of Esau. And you can go back to the time when Jacob and Esau were even in the womb and, and see that, that it's a reference to their descendants. But the point is this, that God hates people. God despises people. There are people, God initially loves everyone. And by and large, I would say that God loves most people. But there are some people that God says, I will love them no more. I, I hate them. For there I hated them. So Elihu says, 
God is mighty and despiseth not any. Is that a true statement? No. God does despise some people. God hates reprobates. The Bible clearly teaches that. And look, people don't like it when we teach that. Go, go, to, go to Job 36. And, 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 you know, first of all, I would just say this. Defy, defy what I just taught you from the Bible. From the Bible. Not from some statement of faith from some church that flies a rain, rainbow flag. Show me in the Bible where, where I'm wrong with what I just showed you. I just showed you a couple of verses that said God hates people. So, you know, you say, well, I used to always thought that God loved everybody and he doesn't hate anybody. Yeah, but I just showed you from the Bible that God hates people. So you know what a Baptist would do? A Baptist would say, the Bible's the boss. The Bible says God hates people, so God must hate people. Amen. There's just some people God hates, apparently, if you didn't know it. So Elihu is wrong. Now, look, if Elihu says, I, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. I mean, he says, I don't, I don't say anything wrong. He says, I have yet to speak on God's behalf. He says, my words shall not be false. And then in the very next verse, he makes the statement, you know, you think he'd just shut up and sit down and say, you know, I'm not good at this. Let, let somebody else speak. But he goes on. So he makes the first false statement. What is it? God does not despise anyone. That's a false statement. Then he makes a second false statement. What is it? It's found in verses 6 and 7. Notice. He, and the he there is referring to God, because remember, he's been talking about, uh, behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. The he there is referring to God. Then he says in verse 6, he preserveth not the life of the wicked. And that's, even that's a statement that we could judge, but I'm not even going to touch that one. Then he says this, but giveth right to the poor. And he's referring to the fact that he, make, he gives judgment to the poor. Then he says this in verse 7, he, God, Withdraweth not his eyes, withdraweth not his eyes from the righteous. Now I want you to notice, because Elihu is one of these speakers that is very complicated. He doesn't speak clearly. He, he's mumbled and jumbled. So you have to kind of follow what he's saying. But notice what he says. He says in verse 7, He, withdraw, he God, withdraweth not his eyes, God's eyes, from the righteous. But with the king's they. Now who's the they there? is referring to the righteous. Notice what he says. With the kings, they, the righteous, um, on the throne. Notice, yea, he doth establish them forever, and they, who's the they, the righteous, are exalted. So I want you to notice what Elihu says here. He says, he, he not only says that God doesn't despise anyone, then he says in verse 7 that God withdraws not his eyes from the righteous, but with the kings are they. So he says, God's watching the righteous, and if you want to know where the righteous are, they're with the kings. That's what Elihu says. With the kings are they on the throne, yea, he, God, doth, not, uh, doth establish them, the righteous, forever, and they are exalted. So I want you to notice what Elihu says. Elihu says, the righteous people, which who are the righteous people? People that are saved, people that are walking with God, people that are living uprightly, like the Bible says about Job. Here's what Elihu says. He says, righteous people are exalted and promoted by the rulers of this world. Now, is that true? And the answer is no. Absolutely not. He says, the righteous people, God has his eyes on them, and they're always with the kings in, uh, in the throne. 
and they're exalted uh, to the throne. And, and he says, you know, they're the ones that are advising the kings. They're the ones that are getting the promotions. They're the ones that are being exalted. Now, look, is, is that true? First of all, the, by and large, the kings of this world are wicked, and all their advisors and their vice presidents and, their, and all their secretaries of whatever, they're all wicked too. This is something that we've already seen in, in Elihu. Go, go back to Eli, Job 34. And look, there's no new thing under the sun. This spirit was alive during the time of Job, and it's alive today. What spirit? Job 34, 17. Notice what Elihu says in Job 34, 17. Shall even he that hateth right govern? Here's what he's saying. Could, because he's asking a question. You see the question mark? He says, could somebody even become a governor? And the idea is that they're a political type leader. A ruler, a king, a, a senator. He says, could somebody even become a governor who doesn't love right? I mean, notice what he says. Shall even he that hateth right govern? He says, people that don't hate, that, that hate right don't govern. And will thou condemn him that is most just? Now notice what he says in verse 18. Is it fit? The word fit means is it right or appropriate to say to a king, thou art wicked? Elihu says like, is it right to say to a king, thou art wicked? And to princes, ye are ungodly? I mean, think about what Elihu is saying. He says, is it, he has this question. Is it right to tell a king he's wicked? Is it right to tell a prince he's ungodly? Can somebody even become a politician if they hate righteousness, if they hate right? I mean, do you, do you see what he's saying? He, he's, he's saying, everyone that, that's in government, the righteous are with the kings, he says, but with the kings are they on the throne. And they, the righteous, are exalted. Elihu has this idea that all the politicians are just these good guys, they love the Lord, you know, we just got to, God bless them. You say, oh, that's absurd. Yet, we find it all over today. You know what Elihu was? He was an ancient world Fox News Baptist. You say, oh, that's ridiculous that somebody would think that, you know, any, uh, so these wicked kings are, are righteous. Yeah, you know what's funny is that we've got Baptist churches filled with people who, as long as somebody has an R next to the name, they can be an adulterer, they could be a whoremonger, they could be wicked as hell, they could be arrogant like Elihu, and yet people say, oh no, he's, he's the Trump of God. He's from God. God bless America. Let's bring all the politicians in and love them and love on them. Have a special politician day. Let's go down to the Capitol and have a special prayer for the politicians. I'll have a special prayer time for the politicians. It's called an imprecatory prayer. But this, this Elihu, he's just this Fox News Baptist. All the, all the, all the righteous, all, 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 the, all the politicians are righteous. As long as they're Republicans, they're righteous, of course, of course. Ridiculous. Is that what the Bible says? Look, look. People get mad at me. You know, I can preach against the sodomites. I can preach against whatever. And all the new IFB are like, hey, yeah, great, great. And then I say something about Donald Trump. And they're like. Let me tell you something. I got into hard preaching before you were around. You say, well, does it bother you that it pisses them off? It doesn't bother me that it pisses them off. And it doesn't bother me that it pisses you off. I'll preach what I believe is right. 
People try to send me email. You better stop preaching about the Republicans or people are going to stop listening to your sermons. I didn't get into this for you to listen to my sermons on YouTube. I got into this for God. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now look, is it true that sometimes people are promoted by God into high positions of power? Yeah. I mean, I can name you a few. Joseph, Daniel, Mordecai. But let me tell you something. That is the exception. In fact, the exception proves the rule. Look, by and large, these politicians are a bunch of wicked, adulterous, whoremonger, alcoholic, drug addicts, idiots. And we as Christians should not be promoting them or loving them or expecting, uh, or, or, or expecting them to do anything. Have you noticed that it doesn't matter who's in power, nothing changes for us? The guy's name could have an R or a D, it's the same garbage. Ephesians 6, verse 12. Now look, lest I confuse you with the Bible, <laughs> Ephesians 6, 12, the Bible says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Look, we're not fighting a physical battle. We're not going to go get our muskets and have a revolution. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but notice, but who do we wrestle against? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So according to the Bible, not Elihu, not Mr. Fox News Baptist, according to the Bible, what kind of people are the rulers of this world? They are the ones in darkness. They are spiritual wickedness in high places. You say, well, what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Don't put your confidence in politicians. <laughs> Psalm 118. Psalm 118, if you would, you're there in Job, Psalms. Psalm 118. All, all the conservatives are like all worried right now because of the vaccine. And look, I'm, I don't like the vaccine, and I'm praying it goes away and all that too. But wasn't it Donald Trump who gave us the vaccine? Why do you make heroes of these people that don't love the Lord? The Bible says that we should love God's people. Psalm 118, verse 9. Is it, it, it is better... To trust, don't look, don't miss it. It is better to trust in the Lord. Amen. Better than what? Than to put your confidence in politicians. That's what the word princess means, political leaders, political rulers. It's better to put your confidence in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Go to Psalm 146, look at verse 3. Psalm 146, verse 3. Psalm 146 and verse 3, the Bible says, Put not your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. Look, your trust, your hope should not be on any human being. The, son, the term Son of Man is a reference to being a human being. That's why Jesus was called the Son of Man, because he was, he's called the Son of God, because he's 100% God, and he's called the Son of Man, because he's 100% man. Obviously, this verse is not talking about the God-man, Jesus. It's talking about men in general. But notice what it says about men in general, in whom there is no help. No, there's no help. No human being can help you. Only God can. Amen. Put not your trust in princes is what the Bible says. Go back to Job 36. Job 36. Elihu says, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Elihu says that my words shall not be false. 
He's made three statements. God does not despise anyone. False. Righteous people are exalted and promoted by the rulers of this world. I don't know what you're watching, but no. Uh, if righteous, uh, and then he makes this other statement. Look at verse 8. And again, he's, he's Mr. Mumble Jumbo, so you kind of have to follow what he's saying. Notice what he says in verse 8. And if they, now remember the they is the righteous people. He's still, he's continuing on this little monologue. And if they, because remember, he just got done telling us, all the righteous people are politicians. They're all up there. They're advisors. They're the vice presidents. They're the ones. Let me tell you something. For somebody to be the president and the vice president of the United States of America, they need to be wicked as hell. Period. They need to be endorsed by the LGBTQ uh, mafia. Period. And here he says, and if they, the righteous, be bound in fetters and be holden in cords of affliction. He says, if the righteous people find themselves bound, imprisoned, he says, then he, the he there is God, showeth them, the righteous, their work. And their, notice this word, transgression. You know what the word transgression means? It means sin. The Bible says that sin is a transgression of the law. It's when we break God's law or we go further than the boundary of God's law. That's a sin. That's a transgression. He says, he showeth them their work and their transgression that they have exceeded. So here's what Elihu says. All the righteous people are politicians. They're all exalted by the politicians. And, and if you find a righteous person that is in prison, that is bound in fetters, that is holding in courts, well, they must have done some sin, and God is just showing them. Look at verse 9. And he, God, showeth them, the righteous, that are in prison, according to Elihu, their work and their transgressions, and that they have exceeded. They, he says they've exceeded a lot of transgressions. That's why they're in prison. Verse 10. He openeth, not, he openeth also there, there is the righteous, ear to discipline. He says, if they find themselves in bonds, it's because God's disciplining them and commandeth that they, the righteous, return from iniquity. Here's what he's saying. If a righteous person finds himself in bonds, it's because they've exceeded in transgressions. God is disciplining them and God is commanding that they return from their iniquity. He says, if righteous people, go, go back to Ephesians if you would. I meant to tell you to keep your place there. I, I apologize if I didn't. Ephesians. Here's what he's saying. If a righteous person finds themselves bound or in fetters, it is God trying to show them their sin, and God is disciplining them. Now look, obviously, if you find yourself in prison, you probably did something to deserve that, right? But is that a true statement? If a righteous person finds themselves bound or in fetters, they've done something wrong. Well, let me ask you this. Was that true of Joseph? Because Joseph was in prison. And the Bible tells us that Joseph, that the Lord was with Joseph. They lied about him. And they accused him falsely. Was that true of the Apostle Paul? Are you there in Ephesians 6? Look at verse 20. When the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, notice what he says. He says, for which I, the Apostle Paul, notice what he says, am an ambassador in bonds. Paul was in prison. He was bound. He was fettered, like Elihu would say. Was Paul in prison because of sin in his life? Because of something he did? No. Paul was in prison for preaching the word of God. 
Go to Philippians chapter 1. You're there in Ephesians? Go flip over to Philippians. We're studying the book of Philippians. You should be familiar with this. Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think of you all because I have you in my heart. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. He says, in as much both in my bonds and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, ye are partakers of my grace. He says, I'm in bonds and you're still partaking of my grace. But notice, Paul was in prison. We can spend the whole night going verse after verse where Paul talks about being in prison. I won't do that. Look at verse uh, Philippians 1.13 though. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Look at verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bond. So here's what Elihu says. Elihu says, if you're, if you're a righteous person, you're in prison, it's because you did something wrong. Now that may be true, but you know what? It wasn't true for Paul. It wasn't true for Peter. It wasn't true for Silas. It wasn't true for Joseph. It, it, it's not, it wasn't true for Jeremiah. It's not always true. Sometimes you're in prison because you did something wrong. But sometimes, in fact, there's coming a time when a lot of Christians are going to be in prison just for doing right. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. So here Elihu, again, uh, he's wrong. Matthew 10, 18. Jesus said, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Look, I'm not telling you this is, gonna ha- this is happening now or this is going to happen in our lifetime. It could happen in our lifetime. I don't know. I'm not Jesus. I'm not in charge of the end times. Here's what I do know. The person in charge of setting off the end times is Jesus. He's the one that begins to peel off the seals of the book and begins the process of what's known as the four horsemen and the tribulation. You know, Jesus did it on this earth. He said, I don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. But once he got his glorified body and he was in heaven, they, you know, they, they're going to give him a book and he's the one that's going to set it off. But I will tell you this, it could happen in our lifetime. It could happen in our children's lifetime. It could definitely happen soon. Look, it, it could happen. We're, we're, I know this, and this isn't too deep, but we're, not any clo- we're, we're as close to the end times as any human beings have ever been. And I'm not, it could happen in the next 50 years. It could happen in the next 500 years. But here's the point. Christians have been thrown in prison for living righteous lives all, all throughout history. So lie who's wrong. Matthew 10, 18. And he shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Now, that's a thought. You may one day find yourself facing prison for the cause of Christ. Are you willing to pay that price? Now, I think we ought to be smart about what hills we die on. You know, you can do whatever you want, Mr. Fox News Baptist, but I'm not going to go to prison for a stinking mask. I don't, I don't, find, I don't like masks. I don't like wearing masks. But I, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and throw a fit about a, about a mask. I'm dead sure not going to get myself incarcerated for it. But there are some things we should be willing to go to prison for. And we as Christians need to sometimes just kind of take the sombering thought and ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer like Paul did? like Peter did, like, like the early church did, because the Bible says there's coming a day when they will deliver you up. 
when you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake. So we find that Elihu is wrong about this thing, about if, if you find yourself in prison, uh, it's because you did something wrong. Yeah, that may be true, but it's not true all the time, and you shouldn't be speaking like it's true all the time. Go back to Job 36. Let me give you the next false statement. Now, the next false statement uh, falls in line with the previous false statement. It actually falls in line with uh, the two previous false statements, and it is the false statement of the prosperity gospel. And we've been covering this so much. Remember, Elihu told us, I'm not going to use the same arguments as the three friends, but here's the thing. The three friends all declared the prosperity gospel, and Elihu's going to declare the prosperity gospel just like them. Look at verse 11. If they, the righteous people, because remember, now he's telling us about the ones that are in prison. So he says, but look, they don't have to be in prison. They can get a job at Washington, D.C. too. If they obey and serve him, Who's the hymn there? Referring to God. They shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. You say, I can't believe somebody would teach that. There are Pentecostal, tongue-speaking charismatics all over the place. Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, pretty much every TV preacher out there, especially the ones that are charismatic, are all teaching this health and wealth prosperity gospel, just do what God says and God's going to make you rich. And That's what he's preaching. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Let me tell you something. That's not true. You say, what's the truth? Here's the truth. You might obey and serve him and find yourself in prison. You might obey and serve him and find yourself uh, shut down and, and persecuted. He says in verse 12, but if they the righteous people, obey not. They shall perish by the sword and they shall die without knowledge. Here he tells us about the prosperity gospel and he teaches us about the prosperity gospel. Go to Psalm 34. If you would, you're there in Job, just go, go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. You see, I don't, I don't think you should preach against false pre- preachers. Well, you haven't read the Bible. When, when you make a statement, I don't think you should name these false preachers. Here's all you're saying. I don't know the Bible. You probably thought God loved everybody too. You know, the Bible says that we are to mark them and avoid them. You say, what does it mean to mark them? It means you name them. Now, obviously, people that are actually saved, then we should try to help them out and all these things. But let me tell you something. These tongue-speaking, repent of your sins, work salvation, devils are not saved. None of them are. He says, if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. That's false. That's wrong. That is a doctrine of devils. You say, what's wrong with it? Here's what's wrong with it. People come to God to, to get healthy and wealthy and fit and rich, and then it doesn't happen, and they blame God. They blame God for a promise that God never made. You say, well, what did God say? Here's what he said. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's what God said. Psalm 34 and verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's what the Bible says. Oh, no, no, no. You get saved. God's going to make you wealthy, healthy, rich, fit, great. No, no, no. I don't know what you're reading. I don't know what you're listening to, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Here's a promise from God, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. 
Now, before you get too excited about that, that may be at the rapture. <laughs> that may be at the resurrection of the dead. Eventually, yeah, God will deliver you out of them all. You say, what should our, our position then be? Our position should be that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, our God is able to deliver us, and if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you anyway. If he, if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow. John 16, if you would, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 16. Let me tell you something, the prosperity gospel is a lie. Righteous people do suffer. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You say, but what, why, why does God bring suffering? Well, we talked about it on Sunday morning. Because Paul said that I may know him and the power of, his, of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Nothing brings us closer to God oftentimes than suffering does. John 16, verse 33 this is what Jesus said. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Now, look. Notice these words. That in me ye might have peace. In the world, notice the, the, the contrast. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Does it say in the world you're going to be rich? Does it say in the world you're going to have peace? Does it say in the world everything's going to be great? In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now notice, I want you to notice, you say, yeah, but I want peace. You know, the Bible says that God can give you peace that passeth all understanding. But that peace does not come from the world. It does not come from the culture of the world. It does not come from the society of the world. See, some of you are waiting for the world to give you something that God said it's never going to give you. In the world ye shall have tribulation. The world is waxing worse and worse. You say, well, how can I have peace? He says, that in me you might have peace. Amen. Where can we have peace? In Christ. Amen. We've been learning about it in the book of Philippians when Paul says, and I haven't really talked about it, uh, uh, but we're going to talk about it in the next few weeks when he says, rejoice in the Lord. You say, Pastor, how can I rejoice? I, if you knew what I was going through, if you knew what I was dealing with, if you knew my issues. Look, if I knew what you were going through and your issues or whatever, if I focused on that, I'd be as discouraged as you are. But you know what? You can rejoice in the Lord. Amen. You want to rejoice in your finances, you might have trouble. You want to rejoice in your health, you might have issues. You want to rejoice in these politicians, good luck. But see, God is a constant... And my contentment, my peace, can be found in Him. And no matter what's going on around me, no matter what stupid laws they're trying to pass, no matter what stinking agendas they're trying to bring down our throat, hey, I can have peace. He says that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So He gives us this prosperity gospel junk. It's not true. The prosperity gospel is a lie. Righteous people do suffer. God will deliver us from them all. Then he says this. In verses, I'm going to skip some of this just for sake of time. He just has a lot of fluff. In verse 13 he says, But the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath and cry not. 
When he bindeth them, he's talking about the way that hypocrites respond. And of course, he's taking jabs at Job. They die in youth and in their life is among the unclean. Delivereth the poor in his affliction and openeth their ears in oppression. Notice verse 16. I just I have to point this out because it's just, it's one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. And I realize that when Elihu said it, the, this wasn't physically written yet. And I understand that. But I just think it's hilarious. It's almost like God's just trying to show us like, this guy's an idiot. This guy, don't listen to him. He says, even so would he. Now, he's, he's God, right? Elijah's telling us, this is what God wants. God, even so would he have removed thee. Now, these are talking, he's talking to Job now. Out of the straight. Now, just think about, think about where you've seen the word straight before. Out of the straight into a broad place. Think about where you've heard the word broad before. Where there is no straightness, that they which should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. You ever heard this verse before? Enter ye in at the straight gate, for broad is the way. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for broad is uh, excuse me, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice what Elihu says in verse 16. He, he says, even so would he have removed thee out of the straight into a broad place. Elihu says, God wants to take you out of the straight, out of the narrow, and put you onto the broad. The exact opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Elihu says, God wants to put, here's what he's telling Job. Job, you, you've walked this narrow path. You've been, you've been too, too uh, a narrow. You've been too strict. You, you need to broaden your horizons, Job. Let me tell you something. Job was the one that was right and upright. And look, isn't this what people tell us today? You're too strict. You're too straight. Straight like narrow. And I tell people, like, yeah, you know what? We're, this is how straight we are. <laughs> that narrow. As narrow as the holy word of God. But here, Job, here Elihu says, no, no. God wants to take you out of the straight into a broad place. Again, the guy's wrong. Here's a little application for you. Lessons from the broad way, the wide gate, the straight way, the narrow path. Here's the application. Just, 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 make, just write this down somewhere, especially you young people. Write this down. What most people are doing is wrong. If, if you're never, look, the Bible tells you what's right and what's wrong, but if you're, never, if you're ever not sure, just look at what most people are doing and just do the opposite, and you'll, you'll succeed. I mean, you should, you should just study the Bible, listen to preaching, and do what the Bible says, but if you're too lazy to do that, just look around. I'm saying, like, when it comes to your finances, just look around and watch the whole world just throw themselves into debt and just say, I'm going to do the opposite. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to child rearing, when it comes to health, look, when it comes to anything, just look at what most people are doing and just go running and screaming in the opposite direction because broad is the way that goes the wrong way. So just do what most people aren't doing and you'll probably be fine. Because what most people are doing is wrong. 
What most people are doing is not correct. Go back to, or I don't know where you're at, but go to Job 36. We got to finish this up. Let me give you the sixth statement that he makes that is wrong. And this is the big one, you know. Not the big one in application sense, but just the big one in the sense of Job. In verse 17, he says this, But thou, because remember, he's, he's shifted his attention to Job. He said thee in verse 16. Now he says thou in verse 17. He's talking to Job. He says, But thou, Job, has fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Look, if there was any question in your mind whether Elihu was a good guy or a bad guy, whether he was right or he was wrong, this verse should just knock that out of you. He just looked at Job and said, Thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. What's he saying? He's saying, You are being judged for being wicked. That's why this is happening to you. That's what he said in verse 17. Now, is Elihu right? Well, here's what God says in Job 42, 7. The thing that is right, as my servant Job hath, he says, For ye have not spoken of me, the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. God says Job is right, all of you are wrong. Elihu says, you're being judged for being wicked. Look, Job is, 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 is righteous. Job, the Bible tells us, is upright. He's innocent. And here Elihu says, Thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. He's looking at an innocent, righteous man, and he's telling him, look, and put yourself again. It's hard because there's so many chapters. We've kind of lost touch with it. But realize that it didn't take them 37 weeks to go through this conversation like it's taken us. This has happened over a matter of of days, maybe even hours. Job just lost all his children. They're dead. He lost all his finances. He's lost his health. His wife said, curse God and die. And this punk shows up and says, but thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. He's an arrogant fool. You say, what's the application? Here's the application. Be careful about judging people because you think you know everything. Remember, Elihu told us in verse 4. Remember verse 4? For truly my words shall not be false. He that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. <laughs> I know everything. And I know that thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. You don't know anything. Look, when we allow, allow our pride and our arrogance to just run wild, it makes us ugly, ugly people. It makes us people that no one wants to be around. Look, it, it makes you someone your spouse doesn't want to be married to. It makes you somebody... Your coworkers don't want to be around. Don't become this person who just thinks they know everything and they can't be corrected and they've got all the knowledge. You, you, ought, to give, you ought to give yourself a little space to say, maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe, just maybe, there's something I don't understand here. Because he looks at Job, one of the godliest men in the Bible, and he says, you're wicked. Right after he got done telling us, my words shall not be false, he that is perfect in knowledge is with thee. Look at verse 18 real quickly. 
There are some things that Elihu says. I'll just go through this really fast because I've got to finish up. There are some things that Elihu says that are correct. Of course, he says lots of wrong things, but he says some things that are right. Verse 18 and 19, he says, Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with a stroke. Then, then he says, Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. So here he tells us, Your money can't save you. That's true. Matthew 16, 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Then he says in verse 20, desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, regard not iniquity, for this hast thou chosen rather than affliction. Uh, behold, God exalted, by, God exalted by his power, who teacheth like him, who hath enjoined him his way, or who can say, thou hast wrought iniquity. Look at verse 24, remember that thou magnify his work. Here's something that he says that's actually true. Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold, every man may see it, uh, man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great. In verses 24 and 25, Elihu tells uh, Job, remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. He said, he, here's what he told Job. He says, you are like a magnifying glass, and people, they, they, because you're a believer, when they see you, what they see is God through you. And he says, remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold, every man may see it, men may behold it afar off. This is a true statement. You have to turn to these. I'll just read this real quickly. But in Philippians 1, we've been studying Philippians 1. Remember Paul said this, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Remember the Bible says uh, that, that our works that men will behold our works, that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. So look, you as a Christian, you're not saved by works. You don't stay saved by works. You don't have to do any works to be, uh, to be saved. But the Bible says that we should do good works, that men may see our works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Because your life should be a magnifying glass. Look, God is afar off to most people. And when they see you as a believer, they get to see God closer through you. What are you showing them? Are you showing them a proper reflection of God? Are you showing them true Christianity? Here he says, look, thou magnify his work, which men behold. And we know he's right because it, 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 it goes with other passages of Scripture. For the rest of the chapter, we're going to end right here. I, I just want you to notice, I'm not covering verses 27 through 32. Because for the rest of the chapter in Job 36, 27 through 32... Elihu, he becomes this weatherman, and he goes into this whole dissertation about um, the rain. Notice verse 27, for he make it small, the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapor thereof. At the end of chapter 36, he starts talking about the rain. And then in the next chapter, he continues with his weatherman show, and he keeps, he's talking about the weather, and he's talking about the snow, and talking about the ice. So we're going to cover all of that uh, next week, the end of this chapter, and um, the last chapter as we finish up with our friend here, Elihu. Uh, but I, I want you to, to notice that this guy is wrong about a lot of things, and he's wrong a lot about things, but let, let me just say this. You and I could be wrong about things too. And what would help is if we'd, we didn't have these overconfident, vainglory view of ourselves that just thought, like, I'm always right. There's, there's no... Look, it would help your marriage 
when you get into these discussions or disagreements in your marriage, if you allow just for a second, for a small amount of maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not perfect in all knowledge. Maybe there's something else going on here with Job. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for this chapter. Lord, I know these chapters have been difficult, and uh, I thank you for a church family that's willing to stay with it, stick with it, learn it. And Lord, I pray you'd you'd help us as we finish up next week uh, with Elihu. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless uh, just everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.